This week on Kettlefish, actress Jenny Jaffe stops by to talk about pandas, problems, and punk rock. Welcome to our after show. We call Kettle a Fish the No Politics Laughter Show. It's time for Kettle of Fish. No debate, hate, or argument allowed on Kettle of Fish. It's like a Willy Wonka psychedelic acid trip. So hooray for Kettle of Fish. Alrighty, welcome to Kettle of Fish, the show after the show, the talk after the talk, the 20-minute comedy money shot after the two hours of political foreplay. Uh, we've got Fern with us, we've got Dee with us. Are you guys ready to get fishy? Woohoo! Fish noise! Yeah, it sounds kind of fishy. Fish Alrighty, so today, let me tell you a story. We had someone scheduled for today, they had to cancel last minute, it wasn't anything negative, they just had something come up. Um, I reached out to Jenny Jaffe last moment. I think it was like on Monday or Tuesday. I was like, hey, can you call in Sunday? She really saved our ass by calling in. Otherwise, we wouldn't be doing a show today. I thought we were going to just be talking about her movie, her latest movie, SLC Punk 2. I had James and Jimmy on the music show talking about it. I kind of dug in, as I always do. And she has so much more going on than just this one thing. She has the project You Are Okay. Um, her website is intriguing, so amazing. She's a writer. She's an actress. She's, to a certain point, an activist. And I was very, very glad that I got her in here this Sunday to talk about a lot of different things. So are you guys ready for some Jenny Jaffe? Yes. Yeah. Yes, All right, fair are. enough. Jenny, what's up? Hey, man, that was such a nice introduction. Thank you. Yeah, you know, like I said in the introduction, I really thought we were just going to talk for a couple minutes about about SLC Punk 2 and move on with our lives. And then I Googled you and went down the Jenny Jaffe rabbit hole, and (laughs) I was just blown away by how much stuff you're involved in. And really, like, it always impresses me when somebody who can just kind of go out there, write, act, and live their lives to the fullest, says, you know what, man, that's not enough. I want to do something. I want to give back. So let me go ahead and start with Project You Are Okay, because I, I went on your website, and then I linked on over to Project You Are Okay, and I was yeah. really, really blown away. So why don't you tell us a little bit about that for the fans? Yeah, sure. So um, I uh, started Project You Are Okay. It actually started in um, December of 2014, and then we launched officially April 17th of last year, so we're coming up on our one-year anniversary. Um, but basically, the idea behind Project You Are Okay is um, the, way, well, the way it came about is that I had written an article for this website, ExoJane, about my experience going through exposure therapy when I was in high school. Right. And I was really, I was really terrified to put it out there because, like, I've been – a woman on the internet a long time. Like I've heard every bad thing a person can hear about themselves. Um, and this was like the most personal thing I'd ever written. It wasn't something I really liked talking about um, because it's, you know, scary and really stigmatized in our world. Um, but when I, when this article came out, I was really surprised when the response ended up being a lot of people saying, I had no idea. Like, here's what I went through. And it kind of occurred to me that people were responding this way because there isn't, there just at that point didn't exist a sort of like first person 
mental illness destigmatization resource. And to me, that was the key component missing from the conversation because I think you can have as many experts as you want, and and for somebody going through it, and especially like a teenager going through it, it's not going to resonate as much as hearing somebody who's actually been there before talk about their own personal experience. And, you know, one thing that occurred to me when I'm looking at this, because, I, like I said, I was fairly blown away, is how do you balance your passion for acting, for writing? I know you've written for MTV. I read. I actually went on and read the latest article that you wrote um, that you had posted on your Facebook. How do you pa- balance your passion for that, for your passion for helping these teenagers and people who have mental health problems? Like, does one bleed into the other, or how do you kind of sort this all out? Well, yeah, that's actually been uh, one of the big, like, themes in my life right now is figuring out, like, how I can keep Project You Are Okay running. And I've got this most amazing staff on the planet, and, like, this, it would never exist without them. Um, uh, but, like, figuring out how to keep this going while being able to go back and doing the thing that makes me the most happy, which is to be able to write and to act and um and yeah, there's only so many hours in a day, but I think that there's definitely a huge overlap. And I did these panels at Comic-Con talking about the role I think pop culture plays in destigmatization. Because I think that a huge component, the, the way we, we get our stereotypes about things from the media, and then unfortunately a lot of times the media chooses to portray those same stereotypes back at us. But I think what the role of media should be is to look critically at the stereotypes that exist and decide which ones they want to help perpetuate. And I think that this exists for, um, in terms of um, appearance and and um, race and gender and sexuality. And I think that there's just this huge role that pop culture, even like frothy uh, comedy and and sitcoms, that kind of thing, choose to perpetuate. So I see them as being sort of intertwined, and um, yeah, and I, and I definitely hope I can sort of integrate the both of them while figuring out how to keep Project You're Okay going as I try and go back into into the comedy world full time. All right. Well, I don't want to travel too far down this road, but I do want to say this because you said something that struck me. One thing that really pisses me off, and I'm a person who's dealt with my own issues. I know we're here with Fern and Dee, and they've they've definitely have dealt with different issues in their life. And it really, really pisses me off when this idea like, hey, I've got a heart condition. And everybody's like, oh, well, he has a heart condition. How can we make your life easier? Like, do you need help up the steps? But if you have a mental disorder – it's like, oh, well, just think your way out of it. Just just get better. Yeah. Like, is, but your brain, how is your brain different from your heart? I mean, I understand it's housing all this hardware of who you are, but it, you can't just think yourself out of it. I mean, there, there are techniques you can use, but you can't just snap your fingers and say, well, I don't have a heart condition anymore. Well, you can't just snap your fingers and be like, I'm not bipolar or I'm not depressed anymore, right? Right. Well, the thing is, like, mental illness is a physical illness. And even um, – even uh, you know a lot of a lot of mental illness is like inherently chemical and something you're born with, and then things like PTSD, which occur as a result of different situations you might find yourself in, um, is because you have a certain amount of there's a lot of chemical interaction that comes along with that level of stress, and so it's it's there's nothing physically that you can do about it on your own a lot of the time. You need the work to um, retrain the way you're brain is wired sometimes you need medication to like rebalance the chemicals in your brain 
it's a physical illness. It's just not one you can see. And I think that people don't understand what they can't see a lot of the time. Um, yeah, uh, that's absolutely true. So, yeah, but it is, it is frustrating because it is like when, you ha- like when you're depressed, like nobody's coming over to like make sure you have like all your meals taken care of. But if you, yeah, it was really sick, like people would. Fern, do you want to chime in on this? Because I know that you've had battles in and out with different health issues, mental health issues and things like that, correct? Uh, yeah. Yeah, and, you know, I would dare say that I still struggle with them some. And, you know, I think what the thing I like about um, You're Okay is teenagers especially, they're struggling to come into their own. They're struggling to be their own person. They're struggling with hormones. They're struggling with social stigma. They're struggling with everything. And to have, you know, something like depression or OCD or anything like that on top of that, you know, not every teenager feels comfortable talking to their parents or, you know, to an adult. They're really trying to to gain their own ground. And this is a great outlet. Like I was looking at it today and I, I think about, where I was as a teenager and how I wish I had had, you know, something like this to really access and utilize and look at and say, okay, I'm not alone. There are other people out there because in, as a teenager, your, your mental grasp of what's going on sometimes is very fragmented and you are pulled in so many different directions that it's hard to really focus. And it's, it's a great thing that you're doing. I really admire it. I admire the organization. Um, I'll be sharing it on Facebook. I'll be sharing it everywhere because I, I, I'm a very passionate about this after looking at it today. It's, it's really a great thing. So oh, I applaud you. And it, it really is a niche that needed to be filled. So it's a great, wonderful outlet. Thank you so much. Yeah, I think, uh, like, one of the things was I'm really kind of creating the resource I think I wish I had had as a teenager. And, like, that's why I think I got into comedy in the way I did. Because the only people who were talking about the mental illnesses I was dealing with in a way that didn't terrify me were comedians. Like, and I could look at somebody like Maria Bamford or Sarah Silverman or Robin Williams and be like, oh, they got through it. Or they, you know... Um, they've had this too, and they've still done good things with their lives. So I, I'm not mm-hmm. lost cause. So does it particularly kind of hit you to the core when somebody like Robin Williams loses his battle with mental illness and kills himself? Or is it like, look, he got 65 Robin Williams years, so it was still, a, you know, his life was still a triumph. Like, do you look at it as mean, a negative, like a total negative, a total loss, or is there something positive that can be taken from his life? Well, I certainly think if, you know, I don't, I think uh, all things are complicated. The project you're okay existing uh, is, you know, partially, I think, um, because of that incident and the way it rocked the comedy world and the way it really brought a lot of people forward talking about what they were going through. Um, Because I think what it really did is it highlighted the fact that it doesn't matter who you are or how much it seems you haven't made. Um, it can mental illness can affect everyone, and I think a lot of people yeah. have this idea that if you get over whatever your summit is, and for people in comedy, it's you know to have a career like like Robin Williams, and um, and I think people have this idea like if you have enough of those material things, you do have enough like um, fame or money or whatever, you'll be happy. And I think the really important thing that I hope people took away from it is like you never know what anybody's going through. And you can never look at somebody else's life and and um, and assume that if you had it, you'd be happy. I think that you have to um, realize everybody's going through something and, and everybody's 
um, got a difficult road to climb because life is hard. And, yeah, I uh, couldn't it, agree it, more. It, yeah, and it's not about sort of like the physical markers of success. It's about the inner journey. And that sounds very like hippie-ish, but it, I think it's really true. Well, we did a whole show on Robin Williams, and my co-host, who dipped out of here before Kettle of Fish today, he's very kind of strident right wing, and he was actually mad at the attention Robin Williams was getting after his suicide. And he's like, this guy has it made. It pisses me off when these actors have the whole world handed to them, and they still kill themselves. And I was like, you've got to stop trying to measure the world by your yardstick. You can't measure somebody else's pain. You don't know what this guy has been through. You don't live his life. And I feel like there's a real disconnect with a lot of people, and they want to kind of measure their circumstance and project it onto mm-hmm. other people when they don't know, right? Right. And I, it's, it's not a, you know, mental illness doesn't know any boundaries, and it's, you know, it affects people um statistically actually that it's kind of this interesting bell curve where a lot of suicides occur among like the very very successful and wealthy and powerful and you know i think there's a lot of pressure that occurs there and like if you're not happy you start being like well why am i not happy and then it occurs for people who live in poverty because the effects of living in poverty mirror the effects of post-traumatic stress disorder and you don't have the access that you need to mental health care so it just is a it's an issue that affects everybody, and uh, I really think it's it's one that I hope um, becomes you know addressed on on bigger and bigger scales because until we start thinking about it as being um, uh, sort of um, the same as uh, physical illness, we're not going to be getting um, the vast majority of people the care that they need, and it is healthcare. Is that in, in it's a hard mm-hmm. enough struggle to get people in this country healthcare. Um, it's you know getting people readily available mental healthcare is is I really think the next big healthcare challenge. Yeah, and I mean like I'm in the camp with Fern. I definitely I admire what you do. I watched a YouTube video about your own experiences, and I thought it was really brave. So props to you on that. And oh, as I'm watching you. this. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I mean, it's inspiring to see young people, because I'm an old man in his 40s. It's inspiring (laughs) to see young people go out there and actually mobilize and do something. And one thing that struck me watching the video, just the honesty of it is, when are you doing a TED Talk? Because I feel like that's got to be nice, right? I would love to do a TED Talk. I've I've, uh, sort of been been trying to make that happen. I think uh, I love doing Comic-Con so much. I love doing, like, the live sort of talk because you can see the immediate impact that it can have. And I think that it's the impact of telling your own story as opposed to trying to tell a sort of universal story, you know, making the personal universal. And that's sort of what comedy is. So it's really, it's very much the same thing. It's just being able to, to talk about something really personal, um, knowing that nothing is a unique experience in this, in this entire world. There's always somebody out there who can relate, or if they can't relate exactly to that, to something similar. And yeah, I love to do a TED talk, though. That's definitely yeah. uh, something I'd love to do. And I also, and I also think that this is a what? I said you're definitely hardwired for it from watching that video. Oh, thank you. I'm also just a big old ham. Like any stage time I can get, I'll I'm <laughs> in. Um, I think I think one thing that's cool, and because you mentioned sort of young people mobilizing, I think this generation coming up is like a lot more tuned in, a lot savvier than people think because 
it's just that they're mobilizing in ways that aren't as visible. And, like, um, I've been really impressed with, like, the teen response. I met, like, so many teens who are doing their own work, and they're saying, you know, the adults in my community don't see this part of the problem. Or, um, well, nobody knows what's going on because this is happening in, like, only certain parts of, like, Reddit or Tumblr or whatever, and that's not where sort of the quote-unquote grown-ups are. So it's interesting yeah. to see, like, the sort of little groundswell movements. I mean, these are all kids who have been plugged into the whole world their whole lives. I think they call bullshit on things a lot faster, which is very cool. Yeah, and I mean, they're not they're not always painted that way, and I don't want to get into a big political discussion. So let's segue over to incredible movie. I'm a big fan of the SLC Punk series. and. Oh, Yes, incredible. I'm watching what you're doing, and of course, Emo Shelley has gotten a lot of positive comments out there <laughs> in the internet universe when I'm doing my research on this. How much of your own battles with depression kind of came into how you were going to play Emo Shelley? Did any of that come in? Did that help create the character? What was that process? Well, I was definitely an emo kid. Uh in, I mean, I was in, like, high school in 2004, so, I'm like, it was a big time for, like, the emo, like, hot topic uh, movement, I guess, or scene. Um, and uh, I had a playlist, because, like, so in every scene, so every morning I'd go in, um, I'd get my, like, hair and makeup, and then I'd have to basically ruin my makeup the same way I did every single day, because um, the movie all takes place in one day, so everything had to look really similar um and uh i had a playlist of songs that i used to cry to in my car and uh and they were all just like songs it was like dashboard confessional and my chemical romance and um trying to think who else was like on that list i have it on my phone still but it was just like i'd sit in my i'd sit in um either in my room or in um when we were shooting in the limo, I would like sit in the limo and just like try, like get myself to cry and be like, okay, you're 16, you're like depressed, you're, um, you know, for a lot of my seniors, I was pretty suicidal. And it was like, it was like I had to go be funny, but I had to make myself cry convincingly first to get my makeup to do what I needed it to do. So it definitely like came into play. Is this a professional thing, or do you feel exposed when you do something like that? Because I feel like I would be very vulnerable, like kind of tapping into all that and then taking it out and putting it on the screen. Or is that the, where the best acting comes from? I think I'm – I mean, for me, like, comedy is at its funniest when you're just going – you're playing it as real as humanly possible, being kind of – you've got to just, like, learn to be sort of shameless. And I think that's sort of where it – where it comes from is like I know that the more real and and difficult this is for me, the funnier it's going to come out. And I just have to like care about the laugh more than I care about my. Um, I think I, I guess I have to care about the laugh more than I have to care about my uh, my Guarding own well being in that circumstance. Then then guarding your privacy, right? You have to care about the last more than your own personal privacy. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And unfortunately, I think that. That's definitely the case, and that's one of the places that I think comedians can get into trouble is is this idea of like the I'm the sadder I am, the funnier I am, and then I think comedians like don't take care of their own you know mental health because they're worried they won't be funny, but 
to me, it's like the more depressed I've been, the less I've been able to create things or write or perform. So, um, you know, I, I, I think uh, that's, a, that's a fallacy, but you just have to be able to tap into those places in yourself. Even if you're, like, in a good place in your life, you have to, like, be able to tap into the stuff that isn't so easy. Well, you know, I'm glad I got you on because I had Jimmy and James on. Of course, they're veterans of SLC Punk, but you're one of the new kids coming into this. Yeah. Uh, were I you a big fan that. of the first movie, or did you just was it not on your radar until you got the part? What was that? Like, what well, was going on with I, that? Did you actually know what it was before you got into it, or or did you even have to audition? How did this even come about? Yeah, I knew about I knew about the movie because I knew James. This is like a super weird story, but I so I knew James because I wrote a screenplay in college that this production company had tapped him to direct, and it was going to be like his first movie in a, a really long time. I, I don't remember how long it's going to be like his directorial return. And the um, movie sort of went into development hell, but James and I stayed friends and we stayed. Um, in touch, and I stayed in touch with Lisa, his sister, who is the producer and editor, um, as well. And uh, when they were casting the movie, I guess Shelley was a part they were having difficulty casting, and um, and James uh, reached out to me and said, "Do you want to take a look at the script? Do you want to? What do you think?" And uh, I read it, and I read the part, and I was like, "This looks really fun," and um, Basically, I the next thing I knew, I was signing the papers and making my arrangements out to Salt Lake City. So I knew wow. about, yeah, so it was pretty crazy. I knew about the movie because of, um, because I had worked with James before. So I definitely had seen it. I thought it was um, really cool. And it was intimidating to, like, come into something that had that much history and culture and, um and so, such like a dedicated fan base because I was like, well, what if they don't like the newbies? So does that put the pressure on you? Do you go into it saying, I've got to try to do this in a way that's going to stay true to the vibe of the first one? Or do you come in and say, I'm going to be more loyal to this character and just kind of let the chips fall where they may? Uh, that's, I think probably it was like a little bit of both because, I mean, I think the thing about the first one is all the characters are – they're very, like, real in that they're definitely, like, people who exist and who James knows or knew. Um, so even though Shelley is, like, a really big character, I knew that she was somebody who I had definitely met and who I assume James was basing off people that he met. So um, I think I just approached it like I'm going to do a big character because that's sort of all these characters are pretty big characters. But – it's going to be big in the way that all emo kids just go too big. Um, and all their reactions are sort of outsized. And, um, you know, with Shelly, one of the things was, that was fun on set was going figuring out how Mormon she was. She wasn't yeah. shut out as Mormon as she got in the movie. I have a lot of Mormon family, so it started getting a little more Mormon. Um, and, you know, coming up with, just fun things about her backstory and the fact that, like, she, you know, can't dye her hair because her parents will get mad. And, um, yeah, it was it was kind of cool playing around with um, really specific things about the character and definitely, like, getting into the costume. Like, I had this hoodie that I wore, and, like, 
the second I got sort of like the hoodie and the boots and everything on, like I found myself getting less confident as a human. And I was like, that's great because Shelly is like hiding in her hoodie and hopelessly in love with somebody who's not going to pay attention to her. Like, I think, I think that we're finding who she is. Yeah, and I mean, I really dug it, and you, and I'm not just saying this because you're on the air, you're on the air because I think this, you were my favorite new character in SLC Punk 2, and as I'm doing my research, and I'm going through, and actually even before that, when I was promoting the episode with James and Jimmy on our music show, I went to a bunch of YouTube review channels, and I went to a bunch of bulletin boards and threads talking about it, and every single person said the same thing, Emo Shelley is our favorite character and i thought it was cool that you even chimed in on this youtube video i was watching like thanks so much i was like wow man she's really down to earth i've got to reach out to her and i was like so stoked because i you know that has been obviously something i was really nervous about and it was my first feature so i was like i don't even know how i'm gonna do with like a feature actor and i i was really thrilled yeah, and people clung on to it. So I guess what I want to ask is, like, why do you think your character among the well, – there's probably, what, five, six new characters? Why do you think your character resonated with people to the degree it did, where everywhere I'm going, I'm seeing everybody's like, yeah, Emo Shelley, I'm down with Emo <laughs> Shelley. That's, that's, like, how do you kind of process that? Um, I think it's probably because, like, everybody either, either has a past as, like, a shameful Emo past. Or they knew they like knew that girl in high school, somebody who was like trying to be sort of hardcore, but was you know kind of a you know kind of a scared of getting in trouble. Um, right. And you know also like she is very earnest, and she's um, got this unrequited crush, and you know I think that's something everybody can relate to. Um, it's sort of like trying to be cool, but, you know, being in sort of the one down position with this, this cooler dude. And, um, uh, and I got a lot of like really fun material and really fun lines. And I think that's probably a big reason too, is just because I, I, you know, I got lucky. I got to do sort of the comic relief in this movie that gets pretty intense, um, at various parts. And, and I, and I, and you know, obviously I got to say, like, I love the other new characters so much and, um, Hannah, who plays Penny, has become like one of my best friends, so I've got to shout her out. And, um, yeah, I mean, was, all the characters cool. are great, so I'm not trying to put one in front of the other. Just from my experience of researching this and seeing how people are reacting, it just seems like people really reacted in a positive way to Emo Shelley. Thank you so much for your yeah that, yeah. It's been cool to to see that. I was I was definitely nervous when it came out. Um, about how that reaction was was going to be, because you know, people—it's a movie that's SLC Punk's a movie that's meant a lot to a lot of people, and I think people feel kind of protective over it as a franchise because um, it was a big part of a lot of people's um, self-discovery, and 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 uh, yeah, I get that protectiveness. Yeah, and I mean, that was my tribe. That was me growing up. I mean, I, when I grew up in the 90s, I had a punk band. And when I first, and this is this is something I said on the other show with James, and this is a true story. Whenever I would date a girl after that movie came out on VHS, I would like after the first or second date, I'd take her back to my place and play the movie. And if she had a negative reaction to SLC Talk, <laughs> I'd be like, well, this isn't going to work out. Because yeah. like so much of my lifestyle is kind of like what's going on in this movie. And um, 
that's a big thing that happened was like SLC Punk did resonate. And actually, my co-host Odell and my producer D liked the second movie. I liked the first movie better. No, not taking any way, thing away from the second movie. Well, but it's right. like the first Star Wars. I mean, it just yeah, it's encoded. Yeah, it's encoded on my DNA. But there's actually people out there. My producer and my co-host like the second movie better. So I mean, wow. you know that movie is making strides and it is telling a new story, but staying true to the consistency of the SLC Punk franchise. So I do commend it for that. And I think James did a hell of a job on it. I think everybody involved, it did not disappoint. And you're always scared, right? Because, you know, when Arrested Development came to Netflix, I was stoked. And now I can't even watch Arrested Development because the fourth season on Netflix was horrible. So oh, my it's God. Like, I, tried to, I tried to rewatch it because I was like, uh, there must have been something I missed. I love the first three seasons. I watched the first three seasons probably ten times through. I love It's my. It's yeah, probably like my favorite show ever. And I was like, there must have been something I missed. I went back and tried to watch the fourth season, and I was like, I just can't. It's just, it's yeah, just I didn't that yeah. with SLC Punk, and I was apprehensive, and I played it one. I played both movies. Well, I played the. I played part two. Punk's dead first. Then I went back and watched part one and part two after it, and it just I think everything was seamless and flowed really well, and it told the story that needed to be told. So as a fan. I am totally happy with the finished product of, you know, the franchise and of SLC Punk 2. And I hope there's going to be a three. I hope so, too. I, I uh, you know, when we were at the premiere, I was pitching James pretty hard. Like, I, I'm doing, I will do an Emo Shelley solo movie if you, if you want to do it. Um, I, like, um, I, w- I, went to the, so I went to the premiere in Salt Lake. And it was all fans, and I definitely was terrified. Like, if they don't like it, there's going to be a riot. Like, this is like this is a yeah, this, it means that much a, to people. This is a really important movie. Like, people are going to um, have a strong reaction, strong opinion if they don't like it. And, I, and instead, it was like most warm reception, and my parents were there and got to see it, and like that was really cool. So, all right, um, we've yeah. got to get out of here, but I want to yeah. end on a note. Because I know you've got a love of pandas, and yes. I put some panda facts, and I just kind of wanted it. to put you on the spot and quiz you here. The Chinese oh, cool. fable. Do you know why pandas have black around their eyes? Do you know this story? I don't. Is it because they were wearing mascara and it ran? No. <laughs> kind of close. Okay. So here, here is the folklore in China. And in China, they actually venerate pandas they they think pandas are almost a holy thing in china so in china there the folklore is there was this shepherd this female shepherd a shepherdness is what they say in the folklore the shepherdness is out doing her thing there's she comes across a baby panda you know playing with the panda a leopard comes out to kill the panda and the shepherd jumps in front of the panda and dies i don't know why the the leopard didn't try to kill the baby panda afterwards Maybe it ran away, whatever. But all the pandas had a funeral for the shepherd. And as customary in China, they put ash armbands around their arms and on their hands. And as they were crying and rubbing their eyes, the black ash on their white fur created the black rings around their eyes. And that's why pandas have black rings around their eyes, according to China folklore. I had no idea. That's so lovely. Yeah, I thought you'd enjoy that oh, if you wow. didn't. I didn't know that. That's that's so sweet. That makes my whole day. 
Oh, yeah, man. The link, if I can um, find it again, where I read it, because it has, like, the whole story. It's only a couple paragraphs, but it's really an awesome story of why. Yeah, I mean, once again, China thinks that another fact is that panda represents the yin and the yang because of the black on the white. So they definitely oh, see yeah. the panda as an animal. Um, just some mm-hmm. more facts, that I found. and I found a list of, like, 100 panda facts. I pulled out my favorites. Um, pandas have been a symbol of peace in China for hundreds of years. Um, warring tribes in China would raise a flag with a picture of a panda on it to stop a battle or call a truce. So how we wave the white flag here, they actually wave a flag with a panda on it. Well, that's so much that. better. Yeah, exactly. Everybody stops and goes, that's so cute. We can't fight with something that cute. <laughs> yeah, it's hard to kill somebody when they're they're holding like a cute, cuddly panda flag, right? You're not going to blow yeah. them. You can All right. do that. Um, some more panda facts here. I got a couple more. Pandas have lived on Earth for two to three million years. I don't know if you knew that. Wow. Not wow. Um, a pair of breeding pandas need more than eleven square miles of land in order to breed. I don't know how freaky these pandas are getting, but they need eleven <laughs> miles to get it on. Yeah, what are they doing? I didn't think that. I mean, I I know it's hard enough to get them to to mate. Is it because they have to like train for a marathon first? I don't know what kind of panda sex is going on, but if they need 11 square miles, and most of us just need, I don't know, a couch or a bed. Yeah, pandas <laughs> are doing something car, right. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay, panda fur. This is sad, but it's a fact. It's worth between 60000 and a 100000 on the illegal panda market. So there's oh another little fact. Yeah, um, the panda spends 14 to 16 hours a day eating bamboo. So they spend the majority of their waking hours actually eating bamboo. That I, yeah, that's because uh, yeah, they don't digest very well, and all the bamboo that they need to be eating is being deforested. So they're like, they really like are not very well adapted. They're not well evolved as a as a species. No, and another interesting fact on that note: a panda's throat has a special lining in it that protects it from bamboo splinters. So this is why they can eat so much bamboo and they don't have to worry about it getting caught in their throat. They actually have a lining that's genetically, you know, formatted so they can eat so much bamboo without that kind of problem. Oh, I didn't know that. That's that's awesome. And the last panda fact. On average, a panda eats 25 to 30 pounds of bamboo in, a, in one day. In the spring, and, a, and in the spring, a panda may eat 100 pounds a day. So these cats oh, are crap. eating... <laughs> 16 hours a day, 100 pounds a day. Did you know these panda facts? I only knew one. I didn't know the rest of them. Thank you. That this is this is a this is I learned something today. Well, that we're here to educate on kettle of fish as well <laughs> as entertain. Um, Fern, do you have anything you want to add? I know I kind of been running all over this interview here. No, that's okay. I, I'm just trying to put all the panda facts together, and I guess it makes sense that if I were eating, you know, 100, uh, 100 pounds of, of sticks during a day, that it probably would take me about 16 hours to chew it all. But they, <laughs> they all kind of come together really nicely. I like that. And I probably yeah, need a wonder. lot of room for, for having sex. Yeah, yeah. exactly. They're, they're clear-cutting. Yeah. Are we going to, like, evolve to a point, like, in 30 or 40 years where we're going to be able to eat just um, White Castle sliders for 16 hours straight and have a special lining in our stomach where we're not going to start vomiting from it? Is that the oh, next perf. step in evolution? 
Oh, God, I hope not, but I w- kind of wouldn't doubt it. <laughs> All right. Yeah. It's been a joy speaking with you today, Jenny Jaffe. Please tell everybody where they can go watch SLC Punk 2. I know you're on multiple platforms. Where they can find You Are Okay, Project You Are Okay, where they can find all things Jenny Jaffe. Give us all the info. Oh, you got it. Okay, so uh, SLC Punk 2 is available on um, streaming, on Amazon, uh, and on iTunes, and it's also available on DVD, and you can order the DVD online. I think it's sold out as a first print. Um, I don't even have one, actually, but um, I think you can pre-order them again. It's um, also on Google Play is where I watch oh, it. Oh, yeah. Oh, cool. They're also doing screenings throughout the country still. And if you check out the SLC Punk 2 Facebook page, they're always sort of updating those events. And you can find me on uh, Twitter at Jenny Jaffe. I'm Jenny Jaffe on Facebook. Um, go like my page. And you can also find me uh, at thejennyjaffe.com. And for Project You Are Okay, it's www.projectyouareok.org, the letters you are okay. And you can also find us at Project You Are Okay on Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, Facebook, everything. And we have an amazing social media manager who is always checking, always responding. Um, so, yeah, go and uh, go and check it out. All righty, Jenny. I want to thank you so much for calling in today. But more importantly, I want to thank you for what you do. If nobody has ever like pulled you aside mm-hmm. and said, thank you for this great work you're doing with Project URK, I want to thank you because, like Fern said, you're filling a need out there. And I love to see young people mobilizing and doing positive things in a world that has gone kind of down to Donald Trump hate hole. Oh. Like, I'm glad to see there's people out there combating that. So you are a hero of mine today. Oh, thank you so much for saying so. Yeah, I I have to believe the best in humanity. I have to believe in a world where Trump does not become president. We will, uh, and and if he does, the fight will just continue. I I think that things are mostly good and people are mostly, people mostly want to just, like, have fun and and be cool to each other. And then I think that... uh, you know, there's a lot of things that get in the way of that, but I, I think that, you know, I'm, I'm very hopeful. I'm very hopeful for humanity. Well, for the sake of all our children, I hope you're right. All righty, <laughs> Jenny, we got to get out of here. We ran way over. Thank you so oh, much for sorry. coming in. We'll be Thank in touch, you so guys. Much for having me. Yeah. No problem at all. We'll be back next week with actor Sean Whalen, and we'll catch you guys next week on Kettle of Fish. Bye, guys. Say bye, bye. Fern. Bye bye.